Hello guys, welcome to the podcast. Today we've got Callum Hancock on the pod. Now, I remember listening to Callum's story on a boxing podcast about a year ago and I remember being taken aback really by Callum's story, by Callum's bravery and outright courage to share something so deep, something so honest and something that was no holds barred, something which was so traumatic in his early life and in his early childhood, something that has inspired him to come out and talk about what's happened in his life and to talk about something that is without a doubt 100% going to help other people because Callum Hancock is a boxer who has had 10 fights and 10 wins is a pretty handy bloke but he is on a bigger mission than just winning fights and becoming the best boxer he can be he is actually on a mission to help survivors of sexual abuse and rape he is the only active boxer in the world to be speaking about childhood sexual abuse and rape. At 10 years old, after being bullied most of his childhood, Callum was sexually abused and raped by an older teenager. Callum talks about this incident and why he needs to speak out about it. He talks about a chance incident for when he ran into his perpetrator and how his life has changed around that point. There's loads more in this interview too. Callum talks about his career as a boxer. He talks about getting back into training and what the lockdown period has meant for him. But I just want to say how much I respect Callum coming on and talking about this and how much I hope that it helps people. If you can please share this podcast to amplify Callum's voice, his message that he's putting out there on the other side of his trauma... And if you would like to donate to Survivors UK at survivors.org, please do. And another message that I must say, and I must put out there, is the same organisation are there to talk to anyone who is affected by some of the messages in this podcast. If it's upset you or affected you, please use them, please talk to them, because there is the next step. Just just like Callum is, is telling us, and he has come through the other side. So that's the podcast, guys. Before we kick off, I must say that it is sponsored. This this podcast is sponsored. It enables us to sit down and talk to people like Callum, put information out there, which I think, in specific, this one will pierce the membrane of normal, conventional media. This is raw and it's honest. The podcast is sponsored by massive supporters of us. It's sponsored by Better You, which are an award-winning natural health brand. And Better You specialises in the pill-free supplementation of nutrients that have been underrepresented or simply omitted due to our modern diet and lifestyles, including transdermal magnesium and oral vitamin sprays. I use it religiously. I really, really appreciate the support, guys, to be able to do these podcasts, to be able to put this stuff out there and put... Callum's message out there, put the mentality message out there and, and keep the journey going, keep us on track with, with what we need to do and to help and inspire people too. So thank you guys for sponsoring it and without further ado, enjoy the podcast. Good 
to have you on, Callum. Good to have you on, my mate. How are you doing? And uh, uh, I guess the first thing to talk about is is how are you doing in this current situation with a lockdown and, and what's life like for you right now? First and foremost, it's a pleasure to be on. So thank you for having me. And life for me now, it's it's strange, isn't it? It's like, it's like, it's like going back in time. <laughs> yeah. There's no cars on road. You're not seeing anybody, but... Quite it is what it is at the moment and with people who are struggling with things behind closed doors we've kind of been forced into isolation so that's that's something I want to hopefully readdress mm. and is is what's what's training life like for you is is that sort of something that's changed for you are you able to do a lot of stuff on your own from from your home or yeah I've uh, I've managed to set up a little gym outside on that I'm getting my runs in, getting my cycling in, but obviously none of us allowed in any gyms at the moment. So everything I'm doing is like body weight circuits, Tabata training, hill running, running, cycling, just doing what I can when I can. You can you can get through enough um, work and uh, put yourself through enough flipping. And I know being a rugby player with your body weight, you can put yourself through enough training, hard training and and take yeah, that can. off in the day can't you on your own you know without without like having to smash into people to batter people in your extent um, yeah, boxing. Yeah. and you can you can do enough on your own really to to go through it um, so definitely I, just give me like a 2v2 space and I can make it happen make it work yeah um, and, and is it something that you, will you be thinking about any fights coming up um, or any sort of definitely I can't if I'm being honest, I can't see any fights happening this year, especially not small old shows. Like, we're going to have to set something up where just a boxer and a boxer and trainers are going to be at the other side of the ring because with all this happening, boxing, you need to sell tickets. And at the moment, mm-hmm. people's not going to want to be sitting in venues sat next to someone who's potentially COVID-19 positive. Mate, for you as a boxer as well, do you, would it like would it not feel the same without fans? Is it almost like pointless? Or I think I'd actually I'd prefer it. If, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd prefer it. Like if I could walk around the corner and have a scrap with someone, <laughs> that'd be better for me. Just turning up for a scrap. It's each to their own, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think we're in rugby as well, rugby league. Like, um, there's a lot of talk about being behind closed doors. I think it, you know, and I've played games with like stands missing and and like less people in, and it, it feels it makes the game feel a bit different. I don't know. You get that sort of sense that not like there's less pressure on it, but there's there's it, it sort of seems like you zone into like feelings of what it's like training. You don't know, like when you're training because there's less yeah. noise going on. You make a tackle and you'll hear the opposition talking and underneath the, the roar of what a crowd would be um, it yeah. just makes it seem different different dynamic don't you think to that it does it's a big it's a big weight off your shoulders yeah one of my it's weird but the only thing that bothers me about fighting professionally in, in front of everyone's eyes is looking stupid yeah. <laughs> like yeah. tripping up or when I'm on weights at ring or getting into ring and like finding ropes awkward or whatever else once I'm in that ring and it's just me and the fighter, I'm, I'm sound. Everything else gets blocked out, anyways. But the pressure with not having a crowd there, or as though you're having to please anyone or any of that, it's I do. I feel free. 
Where, where's where's your background, Cal? Um, where are you from, and when did you start boxing? Like, what 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 age did you start? I'm from Sheffield. Um, I started boxing like when I was 16, 17 years old. I was I was getting in a lot of trouble. I was always fighting. Um, I was fighting with other people like older than me or bully boys or whatever else, and other people coming from different areas and that sort of thing. Um, and I got police and my dad and everyone said to me, look, you're good at it. You do it anyways. Why don't you do it properly? And I did. I went to Brendan Ingalls. I started training at Brendan's. And Brendan were like like a guru for me. He, he took me under his wing and I spent a lot, a lot of time, just me and Brendan alone, and spent a lot of time with Brendan and other lads in gym. And for the first two weeks, I can remember like Brendan just had me walking up and down lines. I didn't, I didn't even throw a punch. So it was like I'm not in a boxing gym. And he said to me, "Look, you're very good with your fists. You're very good with your fists. But now we need to smarten this footwork up. And I can tell you've got a lot of pent up anger and aggression inside you. Because there's a, a kid called Junior Witter. He's former WBC champion." And uh, at the time when I went to Brendan's, Junior was world champion. And I got him ring, and I got him ring to spar with him. And I tried taking his head off. I didn't. I didn't have a clue who he were. I weren't interested in who he was. My attitude and my ego and my pride and everything. I was like, I'm Kalamanko. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah. <laughs> and Brendan was like, right, we need to slow this down a bit now and, and learn the art of boxing. Right, and what what happened in that ring when you when you went at him with your yeah? I was going to say, Junior Witter would be bigger than you as well, right? He'd be yeah. uh... no, no, it was it's it's only tiny Junior. Is he? I, I remember when he fought um, was it Timothy Bradley? I think he fought for um, Timothy Bradley. Yeah, he's he's light welterweight. When he boxed Timothy okay. Bradley, he was light welterweight, and they be boxer Nottingham Arena them two. Junior, he weighs like ten stone when he's fighting when he were at his peak when he were at his best. It was ten stone, light welterweight. I'm I'm a middleweight. Okay. So I, I had a couple stone on Junior. I just remember him looking absolutely jacked for that performance. Like, uh, yeah. When he, when he got in shape, he got in serious shape. No stone got left unturned with Junior. And um, he was picking the switch hitting, which is obviously like a Brendan Ingle kind of thing. Is that is that your kind of? Did he teach you that kind of strategy as well, or? I can switch it, but I I tend to like to stay orthodox. I tend to stay orthodox, but I am very good when someone's walking in, stepping back into a southpaw and catching them with right hook. I'm good at that. But other than that, like I, if you were to look at me, I'm I'm quite traditional, but I can move a lot. Mm. I've got a long jab of work behind my jab, and my straight shots are where I win my sport. So how, how did that turn out? That moment then, when you when you first went in and and you fight with Junior, like what 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 was the outcome with that? I went in. I couldn't land a glove on him. Yeah, <laughs> I went in. I could not land a glove on him. I thought you were going to say you had him, but no. Nah. Yeah, no. It it taught me a lesson. Taught me a massive lesson. Um, I couldn't land a glove on him, and over time, as I got older and as I progressed, I started. I started picking my shots more. I started learning how to cut the ring off. And sooner or later, I started catching Junior and tagging him. Is that when you had sort of like, like you say, that lesson and that meaning brought into why you needed to sort of learn to box properly, learn to move properly and be able to avoid doing it? Yeah. Yeah. It's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. 
Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. Um, and I, I guess. Mate, go on, yeah, go on, go on, Steve. Go on, mate. You're all right. Oh, I was just going to say it was actually it was on um, the Boxing Life Stories podcast where I first came across your story, and it was Stevie who sent it to me. Actually, um, I remember you sending Steve like you've got to listen to this or something. I think a WhatsApp, uh, yeah. and we gave it a listen, which is um, which is why we wanted to get you on. And I think it's, it's fair to say you, you kind of mentioned it on that, but you wouldn't have got into boxing maybe if it wasn't for um, what you went through in, in your childhood. Is that is that fair? Would you say or? Yeah, that's definitely a fair comment. I wouldn't. What happened to me in my childhood has made me take certain paths in life. Uh, I've had to live and learn the hard way. I got sent to jail, and various other things have happened in my life that would not have happened if it wasn't for the abuse that I went through as a kid. I, I was badly bullied, and then the person who bullied me most one day sexually abused and raped me. But it happened once behind my house. It happened another time with me and another person the same age as me. And then it very nearly happened a third time. And out of everything that I've ever been through, the rape and the sexual abuse absolutely took me to, to the edge of life where I no longer wanted to be here. And the man in the mirror, for me, was just a coward. Where I was a mug. I felt dirty. I felt ashamed. I felt embarrassed. I carried so much guilt and so much shame and it very nearly ended me taking my own life and taking my perpetrator's life. So that's why I'm here now because I want to I wanna lift the lid off of silence and I want people to be reassured that there is people out there that love them and that there's people and places that would love to support them. Whatever it is we're going through, we don't have to face it alone. They can pick up that phone, they can they can get in touch by email, they can get in touch through social media. There's always somebody, somebody out there that's willing to help or willing to listen. And it's creating a safe space where people feel safe enough to speak out, where people feel heard, where people feel valued, where people feel appreciated. Because when someone sits down with me and they look me in eyes, and I'm able to say to them, me too. That element of judgment, there's no criticism. It's gone out the window. I've got that dirty T-shirt too. And I want to show people how to clean the T-shirt because you can change what it is, what's happening in your mind. And it's learning, developing coping mechanisms and getting things put in place for yourself to move forward, not just to survive, but to thrive. That's that's massive, mate. And and. I know that Chris will listen to a, a similar podcast to me and, um, you know, the, the, when we listen to your podcast, it, one thing that I want to sort of put out there and sort of want to explore a bit more is how um, your childhood developed and it was sort of from normal circumstances, you know, like messing around with your mates, but then, you know, the, these sort of bully type figures that would be there and, and it's sort of like a common thing that every child I imagine sort of has to navigate through, you know, that's a starting yeah. point that every child has to navigate through. Um, and then, you know, so if, if we can develop that after this, but I also want to say, you know, how powerful it is, mate, that that I can pick up in, in, in my story as well, being able to frame experiences that, that have, have sort of, have changed you as a person um, and, and be able to sort of get the, or have the courage to to act and to to change what you can, but also to accept what you can't change. You know, f- yeah. 
that's what I get from your message, from your story. You're going out there and you're doing it and you're changing people's lives because of something that's happened to you, which is 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 what you wouldn't wish upon people. But you've you've had that courage to do it, mate. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story, and and um, and and being proactive and, and going out there and, and telling people that they can connect with you. That's that's mega, and it's something that flipping heck, I'm I'm glad that me and Chris can put this out and 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 hopefully develop this further for you and help you develop it further. Um, yeah, yeah, one hundred percent, mate. Just I uh, just wanted to echo that, Steve. Like, um, and I think we'll touch on this later, but um there might be a lot of people listening to this or people who've reached out to us who uh, might talk about things that are problem that are troubling them, but deep down it might be something that they're keeping secret. Cause I think you mentioned on the, on the, the other podcast about silence and how that became a big part of it. Um, I think we should touch upon when you decided to break that silence, but, but yeah, before we do, um, do you want to run us back kind of from your, your child? Because you mentioned that this is nothing to do with your family life. You've always said your family were brilliant and, and your family life was actually, um, you, know, you know, like people imagine a happy family life to be, wasn't it? It, yeah. it was as soon as you went outside of the, the family house where the problems kind of yeah. began. Fortunately, my perpetrator was non-family related and my family, my mum and dad are absolutely brilliant. Like growing up, Life was just full of love and full of laughter, a couple holidays a year. And whatever like we wanted as kids, we were able to have. If we wanted a bike, like we'd have a bike. There's, me and my brother were best of mates. We've always had each other's back and we've always been there for one another. Me and my youngest brother would get on like an house on fire. We're a very tight-knit family. And, yeah, what, what happened to me... You just said it, Steve, like accepting. Acceptance is absolutely massive. And for me as well, forgiveness. This is, for me, I don't forgive my perpetrator. I do not forgive him. But I forgive myself. I forgive myself. And the reason being, I was just a child. I was faultless. I am not to blame. So I had to forgive myself that the past could have been any difference because it wasn't actually about ever putting my perpetrator in prison. It was about setting myself free from my prison. It's I had to like dare to be great and speak out about something what is for me were an alien. Like I just felt alien. I felt abnormal to everyone else. Like when I were in silence for so long. I were I can remember being younger, like looking at girls and thinking, because I've been with a lad, does this now mean I'm gay? Uh, I fa- but I fancy women. Like what what is it? What's what's happened here? And I can remember like when when he used to do certain stuff to me, it, it felt nice. Like when he used to play with me, it felt nice. And you you get me one male who does not enjoy is not getting sucked right that is how confusing it is this is that's the shame that I carry I carried a lot of shame because there were certain things that I did enjoy I enjoyed how how he made me feel in certain ways I enjoyed how this person who'd who'd bullied me for so long and and made my life a misery like now wanted me and it's so confusing and so like demoralising but I honestly don't know how anyone can make it through on their own. So I I have three choices. 
I either commit suicide, I either kill him, or I kill him and then kill me. They were they were my three choices, like what I carried for a long, long time. And I went up to my sister's grave and I was sat with my sister and I was thinking and talking to her and I was saying, I'm going to go through with something, but if I go through with this, I'm not going to join you because if there is a spiritual side, I'll not be going to that place where you are. And I don't know, I, like, I had a light bulb moment or something and I just thought, you know what? Fuck it, I'm going to speak out about this because someone out there, I'm, there's no way I might be the only person this has ever happened to. And I spoke out and people got back in touch in return, like in thousands. A lot of people were getting back in touch with me and an organisation called Survivors Manchester, they reached out to me. Duncan Craig, the chief exec of Survivors Manchester, reached out to me and he told me that he's got an organisation in Manchester specifically for males who have been sexually abused, sexually exploited and gone through similar experiences to myself. And it was like a fucking lifeline and I took it, I went and I, for the first time I walked into a place, there were posters on walls what other lads have drawn who too have been sexually abused and there were poems, there were posters, there were artwork. Then I were able to access a thing called Safe Room and Safe Room is purely lads like me we sit in a room and whatever gets said and discussed in that room stays in that room. It doesn't go any further. And... It was like, where's this been all my life? What what have I missed in life? Like, where where has this been? Why is this not more? Why is this not a norm? Like, why why aren't we getting bees in in schools, in in kids' facilities, and everywhere? Like, people should know that this is here. Why ain't this not just in Manchester, but why ain't this nationwide? So these sort of questions now. This is what I'm asking. And I'm banging on doors to get things put in place for lads like me. And did you feel like, obviously you touched on there, like it was a lot of unnecessary suffering um, that you that you had, I guess, from through your time since be, since being involved in those incidents and, and being a victim of those yeah. incidents? It's a lot of unnecessary suffering. And I'd love to, to sort of set a reminder there for us, Chris, that to, uh, to ask you um, a bit about the steps that you made in terms of not feeling alien are the steps that you, you made um, to navigate these confusing feelings that you got, like whether that's professional help, whether that's those sort of safe rooms that you mentioned there. Um, but could we just go through sort of like when you're talking about your family background and, and sort of that setting, that environment that you had um, and, and how it how it came about, like how, you know, the, you, you sort of met these these group of lads or, you know, what your mates were like that you knocked about with, what did you like to get involved in? Um and and, and how did that change? You know, what were the process and, and, and sort of the, the, the steps in in which has, has brought you to, to being able to speak about it and being able to 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 make positive change too. So yeah, just go, if you could just paint a picture for, for people listening, you know, the, the lead up to it, the lead up to it if you can, Cal. So leading leading up to breaking my silence, I told my mum and dad three weeks before I went to jail. I told my mum and dad, and that would be the hardest bridge that I ever crossed in life. And from that moment on, I just felt like, this has now got to stop. This has now got to change. 
And I went to jail. I became, I worked on reception in jail. So every face that came in and out of jail, I seen them, whether it was court release, going to court, release, getting, going to another jail, whatever it was, I seen the faces. I became a Samaritan in jail and I was a listener and I was listening to people in suicidal moments and the amount of people that, and I was sat in jail in silence. I told my mum and dad on outside, but inside I was in silence. And people were sat down with me in suicidal moments and I was talking to them, I was asking questions and I was purely listening. And the amount of people that said to me that they're in here for sexual abuse absolute scary whether and like whether they've um, received gone for revenge on the perpetrator lashed out in frustration because someone's slapped their arse or whatever on a night out they've had a few drinks someone's slapped their arse or someone's touched them in a way or someone sang a song or someone said something to them that triggers the life out of them and they've lashed out and I were in, I had like a deep realisation. I just thought like, this has got to change. This has got to stop. When I get out of jail, when I get out of here, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I am going to do it. I'm going to break my silence and I'm going to break it publicly. And that's what I did. Every day I, I was writing down, I am not alone. I am not on my own. I am not at fault. And I was writing it down all the time, constantly. And until I created pathways in my head that made me like cemented it, I'm not at fault there. I am not on my own. And when I got out, that's what I did. I broke my silence. Mm. And and what and can you explain what how you ended up in jail, Cal? Like what what was it that is that yeah. is that for an altercation with the perpetrator or no? It were it were weird doorman. Right. Inside, like they were asking me to get out. They were gripping me up and they tied me up inside Jenkins Casino. They gave me some fist inside Jenkins Casino. I didn't lash out. I didn't do none of it. But when one one of them got his hand on my neck and he got on my back, he got on my back and he choked me out and he walked me out. And at that that moment, that was like red to a bull. It, it triggered the life out of me. And the second he let go of me, I turned around and cracked him. And I got 21 months. Mm. Did you mention in, um, in your defence... Uh, did did you mention at that point? Um, Nothing. Stayed silent for a while. I didn't, didn't want to speak about it. I weren't ready to talk about it. <laughs> I stayed silent. And like, if you watch the if you watch the CCTV footage, my barrister was saying like, "Why aren't you with him at this point? Why aren't you done anything at this point? Why is it only here?" And I stayed silent for a while. I just said like, I had enough of him. Yeah, and could could you talk, Cal, about um, the build-up in... Because you mentioned there with the boxing, like why you, you picked up boxing and, and why you felt like that was something that, that you were handy at. You, you had all this sort of build-up rage and aggression and stuff which um, you felt like you need to get out. I imagine that sort of was your avenue to get this... this because you not broke the silence. You needed yeah. to get... You needed to use that. You needed to get that, that energy out. Could you tell us a bit about like the build up um as a young lad, like to paint the picture of, of, of you as a young lad and, and, and how you got around and, and, and the sort of first meeting of with the perpetrator when you were a young lad too? When when I were a kid, 
everything in family house was sound spot on outside the family house if I had a bike they wanted to take my bike if I had a skateboard they wanted to take my skateboard me and my brother we didn't we didn't fit in the area we'd rather make tree swings make dens do whatever we weren't into like knocking about on shops we weren't into knocking about in gangs and egging windows putting windows through doing whatever else they were up to and we just didn't fit in and we were like I was like an easy target really and um, often they'd, they'd surround us they'd make, they'd make me fight with someone else they'd, they'd hit my brother they'd do whatever and they'd always get a retaliation they used to they were a BMX track and in this BMX track it had a dip like and it filled up with water they used to strip me off and like whip me with sticks and like and, and chuck leg and a wing me and chuck me into water and then I was just like a little lad just naked and like they'd beating me with freezing cold they'd beating me with sticks and then they'd drag me out of the water and they'd scattered my clothes everywhere and they'd make me go and pick my clothes and then I set last item with my boxer shorts they'd play piggy in middle so I were in middle and they'd play piggy in middle chucking boxer shorts up and over my head and if I'd jump up they'd dig me in stomach and I always used to say to them, when I'm older, I'm going to get you back. When I'm older, I'm going to get you back. They used to laugh at me and call me the hit man. Oh, run, hit man, I ain't caught this. Run, hit man, I ain't caught this. And as I was getting older, I were, my temper was getting shorter. And it got to a point like where I was in about year nine or ten. One of the lads who were a couple of years above me, he always used to like beat me up or try and give me some fist or whatever whenever me and him like cross paths. And I was walking with my best mate at this time and we were walking towards him and my pal says to me, Callum, such and such is here. Should we go the other way? And I said, nah, just keep walking. And I walked straight towards him for the first time ever. I landed one on him first and I cracked him and knocked him out. It was the first person I ever knocked out. And I did that and I, it went round then like wildfire but I'm now the top lad of the school so when other people from other schools were coming to our school gates to come and fight me and all I'd done was stick up for myself and this spiralled but I kind of enjoyed no longer being bullied I didn't ever pick on anybody but I took a lot of pride in wiping the people off my list who bullied and made my life a misery and at some point I had to face facts that this isn't right, this isn't normal, I need to readdress this and I need to, to change the way I'm living because it's either going to end up, as I'm getting older, I'm either going to end up doing a long prison sentence or an early grave. And that's, that's how my life planned out. I'm from. So my early life were a lot of bullying. My mid-teens up until my early 20s there were a lot, of, a lot of street fights, a lot of naughty behaviour going off and it all stemmed from my childhood How old were you when the uh, bullying started um, with that particular group of, of lads? As far back as I can remember And how long I was it going I couldn't put an age on it Okay. How long was it going on before um, it became sexual abuse? Um, I, was, I was sexually abused when I was 10 and the, uh, the perpetrator was was older, right? He was yeah, uh, yeah, he was fifteen. Fifteen. Yeah, I was sexually abused when I was ten, and I, on that occasion, like I was at bottom of our garden, used to go under this fence, 
And if my mum put thumb up like it meant I were all right to go underneath, and I used to play and make a den there. And one day, personal bullied me most. He rocked up. He rocked up, and it would be all nicey nice. And I can remember thinking, like, what's catchy? Why is he trying to help me? But first, I tried getting back under the fence, and he pulled me back under, and he, he won't let me go back home. And he was being like super nice to me. I was thinking, like, what's catch here? Why is he why is he being nice? I didn't have a bike to game, I didn't have a skateboard, didn't have anything for him. And he weren't beating me up or fighting with me. So anyways, he helped me make a den. He went and got hammer and nails and everything. Helped me make the den. And I turned around and he was, he was swinging his knob. And he said, Do you know what these are for? And I said, Yeah, we in. And he says, No, I'll show you. He started doing stuff to me, made me do stuff back, and that's where he raped me. That was the first time. And I can remember just like when he'd finished, I can remember it went well up my back, and I was looking, thinking, you know, like when you bang your head and you look, see if you're bleeding. I can remember it went well up my back, and I was looking, thinking, am I bleeding? And it weren't blood. And I didn't have a clue what it were, but obviously, as I've got older, I know he ejaculated on my back. And that, that for me, that took a lot, a lot of hard work to like to go through to realise that I was just a kid. I, I wasn't at fault. And what's hard about it is you're dealing as a man, you're dealing with your trapped in a child, and at times it, it takes you back to your childhood, and the tears come, the nightmares are there, and. There's plenty of times like with my PTSD and everything else that I want to be on my own. I want to switch off. I want to turn my phone off. Like now I've got my people to go to. Now I can talk in a way that it no longer triggers me or I am able to, because before I could never, ever get the words out. When I told my mum and dad, it felt I was there for about 15 minutes, just frozen. I couldn't spit or spill the beans while it were. And I eventually ended up telling them. Yeah, it's um, it's a big story, mate, and I'm massive raps for you to, to going out and, and changing people's lives and helping people. I remember, and it's like I listened to it about, I can't remember, it might have been a year ago, a year ago plus, um, but I remember you chatting or talking about an altercation that you'd had with this, this perpetrator and, and, you know, a lot of people listening, you know, they know you're a boxer and, and they'll know you're handy and... Um, you know that sort of thing that's happened to you when you're younger, and and you've 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 had these things happen to you. Um, could you explain the altercation that you had when you were a bit older? Sort of, I think it's probably past the time when you were in high school, if 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 I'm correct. Um, and was it was it sort of like? Did you see him at a party, or did you see him somewhere around knocking about near you, or? It was 2017. Right. And, and how it was 2017. Um, it was my mum's birthday. Mm. Just to jump in quickly, mate, as well, just to add on to that. In that period, was revenge something that you were thinking about quite a long time? Like, particularly when you got involved with boxing and stuff, did you think, when I see this bloke, I'm going to, you know, yeah. do yeah. some damage, like, or... How did that? Yeah, how did that develop? I was gonna do him in a way, my, my revenge. I was gonna do him, do him in a way that I was never gonna get caught. People who had done stuff to that, I was practicing on them. That's how I looked at it. 
everyone else when I went when I went knocking on doors or kicking doors in or whatever else, I was practicing on them. Him, I was getting right. And this one particular night with my mum's birthday, I bumped into him in a local shop. My ex at the time, my ex girlfriend, she bought my mum a present, and we went into the local shop to go and get a gift bag. And I walked into the shop. And it were there. It were with his mum, his missus, and his two little girls. And it was the first time I'd seen him face to face as an adult. Honestly, my heart, my heart, like Mr. B, and then like pounded through my chest. Adrenaline and anxiety and everything just went went up. And uh, I dragged him outside, like, and it was just wrong place, wrong time. Mm. in what respect mate as in like um, wrong place wrong time because there were people around or wrong place wrong time because uh, you you imagined it differently wrong place wrong time because there were people around mm. I were on licence I'd just come out of jail I were on licence there were cameras everywhere there were kids it was his missus his mum his own little kids and I'm saying wrong place wrong time because of my old way of thinking. But now I'm sat here, that were a blessing in disguise. That was nothing other than a blessing in disguise. And that night I ended up sitting him down at his house. I sat him down in front of his mum and dad and just had it out with him. And did you like, you forced him to admit what he'd done or? Yeah. So at first he, were, he couldn't look at me his head were down he, he could not look at me and I was banging on the table saying fucking look at me look at me you've never expected this in a million years I'm sat here now full of rage and anger I want you dead you're sat there full of guilt remorse embarrassment if you feel any of them you never thought in a million years this had happened we're on this path together whether you like it or not I said, right. And he says, honestly, Callum, I can't remember. I can't remember. I said, let me refresh your memory then. Over there when I was playing, making a den. He came and helped me make the den. You got, you went and got the hammer and nails. And I turned around and he was swinging my about. And he said to me, do you know what this is for? And I said, yes, weird. And you said, no, I'll show you. And he stopped like, I remember, I remember, I remember touching bits. I remember playing with tails and that. And he, his mum like broke down. His dad said it's a start. His mum screamed house down saying, you liar, you liar. You swore to us black and blue in face but nothing ever happened. And he was like, yeah, I'm embarrassed, mum, I'm embarrassed. I said, you're fucking embarrassed. How do you think I feel? Mm-hmm. I, cut, I cut that meeting short and I left. And I, as I, like, it was weird because it kept... Like we were having this like serious, serious discussion, and they were letting kids coming in, in and out of the kitchen, in and out of the kitchen, and on the way out, like his his daughter there, and I just like, I just put my hand on her shoulder. I, I says, uh, I went, is that your daddy? And she went, yeah. I went, look at your daddy. I bet you're proud of him, aren't you? Bet you're proud of your daddy. And I went. And and do you think? The perp, you know, the perpetrator, as you, as you call him, and, and this this bloke. Do you think he feels that that sort of shame um, and that 
guilt, if you like? Do you, do you, are you aware of him feeling that, or is it something? No, that I don't think he does at all. He's he's twisted. Is even now he's pleaded guilty. He's pleaded guilty to raping me, and he's still like trying to convince everyone that he didn't rape me. It, honestly, what whatever planet he's on, I ain't got a clue, and I don't want to be on it. it. I'll never ever understand his way of thinking. I'd like to. I'd, there's many a times like where I thought, why and what did you do that for? And sometimes, like I do, I, I would actually like to sit down with perpetrators and talk to them to try and understand, so we can prevent this sort of thing happening in future. Mm. That's. That's what I'm interested in. And um, why? Why do you? Oh, where in the landscape of, of things happening is him? You know, pleading guilty for for this, and um, and you going around to the to speak to his mum and dad. Like, is that is that a recent, or is that sort of, um, is that a bit further back? Because I think there's a, there's probably a moment when he went to speak to him and his mum and dad, but then is the bit where he's gonna pleaded guilty and, and for all these offences is that a bit later on yeah he pleaded he pleaded guilty second day of trial second day of trial he pleaded guilty um, when I went to his house that night he remembered doing bits he remembered touching tails and whatever else and whatever got said behind closed doors with him his mum and dad when I wasn't there I'm not sure um, for me back then Many years I just wanted to get shut of him full stop. Just wanted to put an end to it. And I thought that I'd bring me closure. Then I wanted him to like just to admit and accept and acknowledge what he's done. I thought that I'd bring me closure. Then I went to down correct route and I thought maybe if he goes to prison that'll bring me closure. And it did in small amounts, but every now and again I'm left alone or my mind starts wondering and starts racing and everything else. And the only thing that can bring me closure and the only person that can bring me closure is me. It's me who needs to close that book and it's me who needs to turn the page and to start rewriting afresh. So that's what I did. And I know as well, like, what, what was... Because I know your, your brother's had an accident. Um, is yeah. that right? Um, yeah, it was a car accident, I think. Yeah, you mentioned it on the last pod, Um and I think you said, uh, I think you said specifically on it that the two years after the accident were the most crucial years in um, how well he'd recover. That's it. Um, so yeah, sorry, Steve, to jump in there, but yeah. I, I re-listened to the pod recently, so yeah, I wanted to check in on on that also. Yeah, it's, talk- it's doing good now. Last uh, April twenty first was the first time that he's been able to walk without crutches. Amazing, man! That's well good news. Yeah. If- like if we were to rewind clock a year and someone had said like he'll be walking next year you'd have given it very slim odds the chances of him surviving what he went through were, were slim but he did he's managed, managed to pull through and he's on the up could you could you just tell us what, what the accident was mate in specific just for yeah he, um, he ran his way to work and he went round the corner got blinded by his son and went head on into a bus had an head-on collision with a bus. Um, steering wheel completely crushed his chest. He, he punctured a lung, one lung collapsed. Um, he lost his spleen. 
his, his liver, he had bad, bad liver damage. His liver was pretty much non-existent. His heart, your heart sits in a membrane bag and his heart had popped inside the bag, so it was suffocating him internally. So we had to perform an emergency heart surgery straight away, open heart surgery. It broke his ribs, broke his hip, broke his legs. Very, very lucky to be here, but his ribs, fortunately, broke downwards. And again, a blessing. There were no brain damage. There were no uh, paralysis. And he's still here to tell the story, and he's, he's doing really, really well. Probably seriously proud of him. That's amazing, mate. Yeah, that... that... The way you describe that injury and then to say he's walking now um, unaided is amazing, man. It is, isn't it? Yeah, I hope Very it cool. continues as well, mate. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it sounds like you're a super close family and, um, yeah, it sounds like you... It's family what's got me through it. Love conquers everything. And if if you have got a shitty family, we can, we can make a new one. Like it. I like that, mate. And, and could you talk about your relationship with your brother? Like, how that's changed throughout your life. Obviously, I imagine you were close, knocking about as young kids, um, and then you were going through 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 this stuff too. Did your brother um, suffer that stuff also? Um, no. When he was younger, no. And, and how did that dynamic between you both work? I were always protector. I felt good protecting him. And I felt as though I'd done a good deed if if they were like going to grip us up or if they were going to beat us up or do whatever we were doing if I could fight them off long enough for him to run off I were happy about that for me like a job well done did he know what happened to you mate or um, no. did you tell him before your parents or did they, they yeah, I told him before my parents so told him uh, we were in Benidorm and uh, we'd had a drink and that and then next day after a drink like I was still feeling it a bit. It were an heavy night. And then there's like an island in Benidorm, Peacock Island, the summer. Anyways, we were sat on these like rafts just looking out at sea. And I told I told him there. And uh, straight away, like you were, we were both like plotting a kidnap route and all sorts. And obviously I nipped that in bud and I just said to him, look, it's not your battle to fight. It's, it's mine. I don't want you getting in any trouble. I don't want you going through any unnecessary drama. Mum and Dad's been through enough. I don't want any hurt coming Mum and Dad's way. I want to do things right. And um, if anything happens, I'll see to it. You mentioned that that kind of kidnap route. And if I'm right, you did almost go through with, with once, right? Did you turn up at his house um, in like yeah. a balaclava and stuff? And, yeah. Um, when was so, that? Was that like a... That'd be before 2017, right? That'd have been... Yeah, way before. Okay, yeah. I don't know what year or whatever, but it was way before. I used you... to watch him. I used to watch him a lot. And uh, I went to his house one night, full intentions of just finishing him off. I had a duster on each hand, I had my balaclava on, all my blacks on, and I went to his house. And I like waited on back garden. And again, he was like, walking towards me because he used to come out and have a fag. And he'd walk towards and he'd flick his fag like out away from house. And um it was getting closer and closer to me and his his little girl ran out, Daddy, Daddy. And him and his daughter went back in the house and I just like just sunk to my knees, just think like made in my hands, crying my eyes out, thinking 
how close are that and I can't do it. It's gonna it's not them kids' fault. Mate, that sounds like another um and you mentioned earlier the like wrong place, wrong time kind of thing. And then you mentioned I thought it was really interesting how you'd reframed it now. Like there was the old you who said wrong place, wrong time, but now it seems like uh, you can look back and be thankful that those sort of moments put you back on that that right path. Yeah. Um, which I think is actually the harder path. I think it's it's probably an easier path to go down the the, the bad one. And and the path you've chosen, mate, uh, I think is probably the harder, the more the the one which takes more courage. Um, yeah. the one where you're showing that actually this thing happened to me, I'm still going to live well, I'm going to help people, I'm going to inspire people. Would you agree with that? Is it, does yeah. that feel like how it how it kind of went for you? Or Definitely. There's a, there's a massive shift when you're a huge shift when you do, like healing is a beautiful like journey that belongs to each and every one of us. We've all gone through traumatic experiences or we've all gone through something in life that has shaped us in a particular way. When when you start healing and when you start feeling, it's it's a drug. It's like, it's it's therapeutic. And when you start noticing people in, in abundance coming up to you, like saying, because of you, my son told us, or because of you, I changed my life around, or because of you, my dad were able to do this, or whatever else it's it's definitely meaningful and I just now I know I'm, I'm on the right path in life I'm, I'm doing good yeah mate I, like for me um, you know asking that question about him being able to feel that whether he can feel the sort of guilt or the shame or you know the regret or you know remorse um you know, you, you think of that and you consider whether you can think that or feel that or not. But, mate, for, for, for me, thinking about you and, and, and from what you've been through and what you're talking about now, I get the sense that, you know, mate, there's some... The agency that you've been able to show with how much compassion you've been able to show... Um, not to him as, as as a person in specific, but to yourself and being able to come to this point where you are, like there must be so much in there. There must be so many moments and many twists and turns, but more than anything, being able to sort of accept it, like we said, we spoke before, accept what's happened and, and, and to do what you can from here. Yeah. Um, mate, you know, I, I see you as such a, a strong person from whether you're going through whether it stems from what you've gone through, but but more from, more from where you sit now, um, and I imagine you've got a bigger emotional capacity to do more things on this earth than than, than he has. Um, yeah. So, yeah, mate, um, I'd love to sort of break down some of the things that that's allowed you to get to this space, allowed you to get to this place, because there will be people listening to this that have similar similar stories, similar things that have gone on in their life, their childhood, and whether they've actually had those experiences or whether they're feeling similar to how you've been talking about, there will be people that, that have that and that for you as a person will be a massive, massive role model for. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to stay alongside you, alongside Chris, that 
the path that you've taken is the better one and the and the the more courageous one. The, the courageous meaning that you don't know which way it's going to go. You've got to take that leap. You've got to take that step, which I imagine you will have had to do. Um, but also, hopefully, we can break down a bit of the steps that you've taken and a bit of the the things that you've that you've been aware of and that you've had to do along the journey. Um, yeah. If 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 we can we can start with some of the lessons that you maybe learn before you went into jail, um, and and where your head was at there, but then also going into jail, and then you know after that I'd love to know some of the stuff that you're looking at now and, and understanding now as well. But it'd be yeah. it'd be great to to sort of map out where people's head might be at and what you're feeling and what lessons were coming in at, at a certain time. Do you know if that makes sense? Because yeah. People yeah. might be at square one where you were five years ago, um, and it, and it'd be good to sort of pick some stuff out of there, mate. If you could just tell us a bit about the start of that. First and foremost, yeah, is regards saying like, I wonder what your perpetrator feels like. Does he feel any guilt or shame or whatever else? I I had to seriously push that out and it's not about him, it's about me. It's not about him or his loved ones, it's about me and my loved ones, it's about it's about my life. I need to change this. Um, if I was to rewind the clock, when I was purely in silence, I had a lot of negative coping mechanisms. Um, they, were, they were boxing, boxing were a release for me, boxing were therapy. I used to, if, I used to enjoy a fight or I used to enjoy going to see see one of my bullies but they were coping mechanisms for me I never used to drink I always wanted to be aware of things what's happening taking dog walk taking dog walk's always been like an healthy therapeutic thing for me that's a positive coping mechanism again when I were in when I were in jail it were Training, 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 and reading books. I, I went to see a mindfulness coach, and it were actually to do with a car crash that I had. And I was sat in there in silence, and she was talking to me and explaining things to me. And for the first time ever, like, things started making sense, and I was thinking, like, I can use this to get through what I've actually gone, gone through in life, what no one knows about. And uh, she was like, Eckhart Tolle, and I'm like, say that name again, Eckhart Tolle, and I write it down. And then she'd say, like, a book called Waking the Tiger. And I said, say that book again, and I'd write it down. And I knew I was going to jail. So all these books and all these people who she told, I had my list of books. And when I went into jail, I had all my books sent in. And I just, I turned into a bookworm. And I, I read absolute loads. I can remember, I read The Power of Now and Change Your Earth. Waking the Tiger and all, all stuff like that and um, things sooner like rather than later started to change for me and when I came out of jail I just start, like practiced it and practiced it and practiced it and reinforced things that stuff were getting said in my book I can remember uh, there was one book called Mental Combat and it talks about anxiety and it and when when your anxious mind opens up how to silence your anxious mind is one way is to open the mathematical side of your brain up. So the seven times table is like quite an odd times table. I was starting off at like 
um, 600 and I'd be counting my way down in sevens. And I'd be doing that in queues, safe or feeling anxious if there were people around me or whatever. I was using just little things that I was learning in mental combat and I was using it in everyday life. Uh, there were a meditation practice, breathing in for four seconds, holding it for four seconds, exhaling for four seconds. I was then using that. And I can remember like just being able to create in a space and noticing a huge difference in me. I was waking up earlier. I was having long, productive days. And I was going to bed on time. And it became like clockwork. I was going to bed same time every night. I was getting up same time every morning without any alarms or anything else, my body clock my body clock had developed. So I've always struggled with sleep. And when I came out like I had I had a new bounce in my step. And then things got moving forward and sooner like I ended up walking into survivors. I started meeting new people. I started cutting down because before I were hanging around with people who were who were bad lads. Uh, and I just thought like I can't as much as they are my friends and as much as I love them I can no longer be in these circles because it does like cleanse my appetite every now and again but I just I can't be here it's not healthy for me I can't be in pubs I can't I can't be in these areas where someone is going to have too much to drink or too much shoved up the nose they're going to end up thinking at big leaks and I'm, I'm going to end up sorting them out do, do people know your reputation as a boxer as well at that point? Is it like you get a bit of a target for anyone who thinks they're hard? Yeah, there are a lot of times like where I've got, I've always been, even though I'm talking like this now, I've always been very quiet and reserved and polite and everything. And I've always kept my cards close to my chest. But deep down, I'm... There's stuff underneath, like what I've been through in life, and stuff underneath that's meant me a, a certain particular sort of animal, and it's not a nice animal when it pops its head out. So I were going in and I were I were quiet and having a good night or whatever else. But if someone steps out of line, I won't think twice about seeing to them. And that that's negative. That's that's not right. It's not healthy. Um. And I did, I just started, like, instead of pointing the finger at anyone else to blame or looking at other excuses or whatever else, I just, I started to address the man in the mirror. For you, Callum, you in mirror, you need to face some truth, you need to swallow that pill we call pride and you need to do some, like, serious knuckling down because your life's going to quite easily go down a wrong path here. And is this straight after jail, this Cal? Like when when you when this was sort of like you're building up all the knowledge in jail and then you came out and you're like this is I've got to act different I've got to I've got to be different in the world. Even in, even in jail uh, even before jail I would try my best to act different. Mm. Um, but every now and again I'd slip up again I'd kick myself thinking fucking hell Callum you you've done it again mm. you've gone to a place that you know is not good for you you've been surrounded by certain people you know are not good for you. And you just walk straight into the trap again. Mm. Um, and I did. I just I started knocking about like with more like-minded people, more open-minded people, and people who want to live life and people who want to do greater good in life. And my path did begin to to walk differently for me. 
And you, did you juggle this alongside the boxing? Like, who's the some some of the people that you spent time with? And and you know, as a boxer, you're still training and you you you're doing all that that stuff that you need to be doing. But what are the some of the other stuff that you'd immerse yourself in? Like, would you go into different walks of life? Like, did you meet a certain person that's shown you a different way? Can you think of any examples of that? Yeah. Um... So boxing can attract a particular crowd and a lot of time it's quite a naughty crowd and our, I always like, I've always got on with people who, who, have, who like dabble in my lifestyle and I had to, but the people like made me realise were one person in particular called Richard Hales. He's He's an ex-boxer. He'd done, he'd done like 13 and a half, 14 years inside for kidnap and torture. He'd been there, seen it, done it. And he he took me under his wing, like, and I started to learn from him. I just thought, I don't want to go down that path. He's done wrong, and now he's having to make amends. I don't want to do wrong. I want to, I want to do right. So he, he were a person who, who paved the way for me. My dad, my dad's always been like the best role model for me. He's always been brilliant. So Brendan Ingle, Kel Brook, they've they've all shown me different ways. Ryan Rhodes, he, Ryan Rhodes are absolutely brilliant for me. He too played like a father figure sort of character for me, and they've just kept me on straight and narrow. Mate, did you um? It seemed like your relationship with boxing is kind of linked to your past. Yeah. Did when you started to overcome things in your past and deal with it more, did that then change like how much you needed boxing or your relationship to it? If that makes sense. Yeah, massively. When I were in silence, boxing, boxing just used to fuel my fire. That was my release. That was my escapism. That I spent all my time in that boxing gym. If I were up in the morning, every morning I was running. Uh, I'd run myself into the ground. I was like burning candle at both ends, just to try and silence my mind and keep my demons like at a distance. I was training first thing in the morning. I was scaffolding all day. I was straight back in gym at night. I was spar. I was sparring on pads, on bags, everything. And I would not go to bed at night until I was absolute cream cracker, until I could no longer hold my eyes open, and. That's what that was like my saviour for many years. When I broke my silence, boxing served me differently. I broke my silence and something that had always worked for me, boxing, no longer worked for me in the way it once did because I know why I started boxing. I know who gave me my nickname, my perpetrator gave me my nickname, the hitman. All my life I've been fighting, I was just like, I can remember um, um, I boxed on Kel Brooks on the car at Sheffield Arena. Arena were packed. David Devon A were in ring announcing my name and everything. Eddie Earn and all that were there. And I can remember just like looking around thinking, it's not all that. It's not what it's meant to be. And it it didn't actually do anything for me. I was just I was living numb. I was just numb 24-7. I was forever trying to find that next hit or that next high. And that, and and when you when you were feeling like that, is that before you've brought the silence, or that was that, when I brought the silence. Yeah, so it's sort of like the the fuel for why you were there and why you were going to achieve the stuff is sort of like 
dis- uh, dissipated a bit, like like gone a bit, because the you you've sort of taken that away by talking about it by by going through with with well, I guess it's this mission now that you've picked up to break the silence and to to talk about it to put the message out there. Like, what's what's the relationship now with boxing? Like, have you have you had to find another why? Have you had to find another purpose for it? And um, is it something that 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 you do because you enjoy, or like, what what what's the cause there? Now, I absolutely, I absolutely love boxing. I love it, but I went through a stage like for about five five years or so, I didn't even watch one fight. Didn't tune into any fights. Didn't watch any fights. And I used to, I used to go to them all. I used to get them all on pay per view and everything. And I just I can't. I resented it. I resented it. I started to hate it. I started to tie boxing and my abuse like hand in hand. I'd like delved into my own trauma. And I just I said to myself, Callum, like, and my team around me, like my therapist and my mum and dad and everyone, just said like, Callum, just give yourself a minute. You've you've gone through a lot in life, like, sort number one out, look after number one. Because I can quite easily go into a boxing gym and my blinkers will be on, I'll be tunnel vision. And I'll just concentrate with all I've got, like I'm all or nothing, I'll concentrate with everything on boxing. Or I'll concentrate on everything on my diet. I'll be so specific and so thorough with it, but I'll neglect myself. And um, I didn't want any distractions. I didn't want any distractions. I didn't want anything what I'd run to and find an escapism. I just wanted to have some time to myself and grow through grow through what I've gone through. That's what I did. I just I concentrated on number one and my new distraction was myself. It was my own therapy, it was my own healing. I no longer wanted to live like the life I've lived. So did did you end up taking a time out of boxing then and and focusing yeah. on this more yeah and yeah did you did you seek any anything like uh, men's retreats or did you seek any professional help did you speak to a therapist did did that help like breaking stuff down in your head and and speaking it out with someone and finding their way forward with it yeah I mean, we're, I was at Survivors Manchester I had an ISPA there an ISPA is an independent sexual violence advisor. They're like in your corner throughout, um, throughout the whole court, court process and even after court. Like before, I met them, it was me talking to police. They were me talking to mental health teams, my doctor, my solicitor, and whatever else. I no longer had to do that. I no longer needed to know like every speed bump along this road I was going on. And this part deals with the police, deals with all court side of things. And they'll pick up that phone to you and just only give you information that's needed. So that took a massive weight off my shoulders. Um, I had my therapy, EMDR treatment. I had all of that at Survivors. Again, with somebody who's being trained and specifically meets my needs. Um, so I had specific therapy. I've, and again, I took my foot off at gas with work. I took my foot off at gas with boxing. And I just I give myself the space needed to to process and to digest what it is what I've gone through. Mate, if you were thinking of um, of like if someone's listening to this now and say they're in the silent stage still, have you got any like top top? I mean, you've mentioned a lot of things, but is there any like top tip or 
one thing you, you you know you'd love to say to them or you think that they should hear? Yeah, just I cannot say it enough how they are. If anyone's listening to this now and hearing my voice, you are not alone. You are not on your own, and you're not at fault. There's people that love you and people and places that love to support you. Me being one of them. You don't have to face whatever it is you've gone through. You don't have to face it alone. These people and doors open for you. Brilliant, mate. Um, and this is this is sort of like touching on on you as a, an athlete. It's touching you on as a on you as a person as well. This um, and I, I I've started asking this to people over the last four or five episodes um, to high performers, which obviously you are one. Carl, we've not you know spoke to spoke about that too much in this podcast I think we'll probably have to do another one where we're touching all that Um, but without giving too much context around it and it'd be interesting to see what you say for this but to you what is it to be on so like if if you said oh I'm on today or I'm on in the ring what gets me up and going yeah so like if you know in a performance sense like if if, if you were going to say oh I'm on today like it could be performance, or it could be during boxing, or it could be um, like when you're happiest in in your life, when things have have going right for you. Like when you're on, what what does that look like for you? When I'm on, um, I'm getting up in the morning fresh, and I'm looking forward to the day ahead. My meals and everything are prepped. I'm having my meals on time. I'm walking into the gym and I'm looking forward to like to sparring with another high caliber athlete. But that for me, like when I feel like I honestly could put King Kong in front of me, I'd honestly believe that like, I'd take yeah. King Kong's head off. Like, yeah, I just yeah. I feel great. I feel I feel at the top of life when, when I'm on that vibe. And what and what things do you have to put in place to get there? Is it is it like a routine that you have to put in? Is it structure? Is it like just yeah. being in a certain place at a certain time? I have, cause it, I have to get like plan plan the day ahead. Yeah, I have to be eating on time. I have to be everything's like got to be weighed out by now with my food. My hydration's got to be on point, and just like just smiling through life. That for me, and just like knowing that I've got eight week training camp and, and just looking, just focusing on that date, whatever date it is, just working towards that goal. Goals, mate, and structure is a big thing, it, to allow you to be a little happy, be happy, smiling, and, and, and yeah. What what I'm what do you feel like? What's on for you? Yeah, mate. I'm I'm saying I'm like I need a certain amount of structure, so like to know the behaviours that are coming from my sort of values of what I know is important. So as a rugby player, that could be to, to train, to do a certain measure of, of, of hard in, in the weights room and do conditioning. Like That's what I've always been used to. I feel like I'm buzzing from there, seeing a group of mates. Um, but then like you go into performance and I've spoke with um, the last few podcasts, mate, I've done... Um, I've done one with a principal dancer at Royal Ballet. Um, yeah. So he's a ballet dancer, 31-year-old. Done one with Jamie Peacock. And I've done one with Jack Green, who's an Olympic 
hurdler, how he was Olympic hurdler, and yeah. we touch on the same sort of feeling that you get when you're competing, and you'll probably you'll probably relate to this. Um, Chris, you might relate to it when you you're writing, maybe. Um, but it's it's like a feeling that you get when you're sort of in that flow, or you're sort of in that um, in like in the zone. They say so, like you know, when I'm saying like, what does it feel like to be on for you? You know, you'll get you'll get Chris. Um, delivering a different answer in, in terms of how he feels when he's in the moment but some of the stuff that he's put in place to get there probably be different to mine or yours Cal um, but for me in performance it's like when, you f- you know, when you're feeding back into that little kid playing the game of rugby again and when you're sort of a bit unscripted but at the same time in your head you know that what's going to happen is going to be good and you're sort of yeah, like a yeah. step ahead of yourself and you know, you're sort of in front of, of, of the actions that you do and um, those tend to be annoyingly the games and the the moments that you don't even remember because you're not even accessing that part of your brain which puts them into memory. But yeah, sort of that and, and, and to get there, I know that I need to have a sense of structure but then also a sense of like um, being able to go with the flow as well. So it's like a fine balance that I get and I, I notice that when I look back, at some of my writings that I do and, and sort of like journaling, I do three pages of journal in the morning. I can identify what I've done in that day and what's made me feel good. A certain amount of stuff that I've done in the morning to feel good about doing some stuff and being productive, but then also meeting different people and connecting with different people. So it's always yeah. quite interesting to see, like you, you know, you've you've mentioned there the measuring of your food, um, and 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 ticking those off. But then you've mentioned the. <laughs> being happy and smiling through your day so it's it, I think it's worth breaking it down and sort of understanding it and, and especially for listeners too to to get some different versions of um, which they could apply to themselves Steve I can't believe you didn't mention my meal prep in there <laughs> yeah. I, prep, you... I prep meals for Stevie when he's in like game week or game day uh, and, uh, uh, mate, uh, that's when you're shit. on that's number one ingredient uh, man. I had a shit week that week actually when you started <laughs> <getting> food around <laughs> But yeah, it's um, you know they're all right. Chris does some good meal preps. I've only had them in pre-season, though. Remember, you stopped doing them. You you, you, you were to... made captain after I. Oh. <laughs> you played a game uh, in pre-season. I did your meal prep that week and before the game, and you were singled out at the Yorkshire Post. And I think I'd done something for Luke Gale that that um, week as well. <laughs> and the Yorkshire Post article said. Um, Galen Ward star as Leeds beat uh, Wakefield. I think that's it was. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, "That's my fucking meal prep. That's why." Uh, yeah. yeah. So many other factors to play in there, Chris. Man. Yeah, you know yeah, man? yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, tell them, mate. Before I think we should. Uh, I'm conscious of putting that stuff in the past because um, that is in the past, and like I want to move on to your forward briefly before we finish. Mm. Um, but just before we do that, mate. Um, there's one question I wanted to ask as well, and I think it perhaps might be something other people think of, um, is how has that impacted uh, relationships in your life? Um, you know, perhaps uh, romantic relationships and things like that. Like you mentioned for a while, it obviously confused you, but I can imagine for people who've been through that, it's a, it's a hard kind of, uh, you know, like landscape to navigate a bit, um, how you move yeah. forward with that. There it is, Ardy, so... It's hard for your partner to to digest and to take. Say when I'm silent, if I if I shut off and I go silent, so like what's Sharif thinking? Like 
what's what's my girlfriend thinking? Is she could be thinking a thousand and one things in her head. Like, why is he silent on me? Why is his phone off? Or why this? Why that? And really, it could just be something so simple like, Cal just needs a minute. He's just having a bit of time to himself. So that's that's just a little example. Um, but say, say if she were to sneak up on me and shower or do whatever, and I, I were to turn around and like, what are you fucking doing? Or I'd, I don't know. If, if one day I was just feeling like, like really down, I can go cold. I go cold and I go quite numb and like quite vacant. She she could quite easily take that as though she's done something or she's done something wrong or why is Callum cold with her? And it is, it's just, it's having those challenging conversations that create the change. Just being an open book and allowing your partner to to realise and to know what it is what's going on for you at that moment in time. Do you do you feel like you've got a really strong relationship with your partner, like a really open yeah. one, an honest one that you feel yeah, like so a, a lot of other people love? My girlfriend thrives on authenticity. Yeah. Like she, yeah, she loves she loves truth. Like uh, one of her main values in life is quality time. And that's that's one of mine. I too, I, I love authenticity. Like our love language is like quite in touch, quite in tune with one another. We're in sync. And what what would love language be? Like what's what is love language? What you what you'd say that is like being able to understand what people are thinking or feeling or. Yeah. So like like I just said, when um. One of my girlfriend's main qualities, main values in life is quality time. Mm. Like that's, for her, that's absolutely massive. Mm. And like she doesn't, she doesn't like surprises. So instead of surprising her, include her in things. And just getting to know one another, understand one another. That's, mm. that's a love language. Right, I get you. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but yeah, I've never I've never had a relationship before where I've been able to be as open as and as honest as I am in this one, which is a breath of fresh air. Like Shreem at me when everything were out there, I'd, I'd spoke about everything, so she accepted me for, for the man I am, and I appreciate and I, I adore her for that. And I I too I accept her for who she is, mm-hmm. but relationships is is tricky and obviously mine it's it's sexual abuse so there's been many a times like where in the past even though I've not done anything wrong I can quite easily like walk away from a sexual experience thinking have I, have I done something wrong have I have, have I hurt have I, have, I, have I left her have I done this what's she thinking what's she feeling and my mind can start just like quite easily going to overdrive so just having having that open conversation, open conversation about boundaries, that for me is like massively healthy. Mm. Before, I've never never thought about like speaking about anything like that. I've never known like how to bring it up or how to say it or to tell someone I don't like something or don't touch me in this area because this reminds me of this. But when you do that, this is what it brings up. Mm. I was just I was silent about things. I was getting 
I, I knew certain triggers, but there were unknown triggers as well that I've only managed to find out because of therapy. And and do you think those sort of like the fact that you can be so open with her and and sort of show yourselves bare really and understand each other to a deeper level? Do you think that's a relationship that that you sort of could never even envisage without having to get to where you are today? Do you know? Is that something that that you see like do you see superficial relationships, but know that what you've got is really really important and something that can't be replicated? Yeah. This is, this is like something that is true, is real, because of both of ours, like authenticity and our truth, we've both been able to allow each other to just be, to just be ourselves and to fall in love with a person who's, who's true in front of you. And that's, that's what's real. Before, like, there'd be a lot of people pleasing or cater and tend to their needs instead of my own sooner or later it's just going to go tits up it's going to go sour mate that's um yeah that sounds like uh it sounds like you've got a, a brilliant kind of foundation of honesty and authenticity to build a relationship on and yeah, yeah it sounds like a great example man um before um, we do finish, man, just what does the future hold for you then? Like, what, what things in boxing and outside of boxing do you want from from your future? I want to to keep doing what I'm doing on this path I'm on. I want to raise as much awareness and raise monies for, for the people in need. I want to be able to get into schools like I am doing, into prisons, into universities, and again, have those challenging conversations that create change. I want to be sitting down with people like yourselves on, on different podcasts and different platforms. Um, so that that's sort of life. That's what I am going to do, definitely. That's like, I feel as though that's a passion and a purpose of mine now. And boxing... I want to, when all this COVID and everything passes, I want to, I do want to lace the gloves up and I want to, I want to crack on it. I want to get a British title around my waist. I want to go for world honours. If I'm doing it, like I want to do it right and I want to, I want to reach higher levels. Well, mate, um, whenever you've got a fight, get in touch because uh, I don't know about you, Steve, but I'd love to be in the audience, man. And any way we can help support, um, it would be an honour, definitely. For sure, for sure mate. Just uh, want to echo what Chris is saying there, mate. Uh, any support that you need, anything that you need, just give us a shout. We'll um, we'll put stuff out that, that you want to put out there and um, help you build your message. Yeah, mate. Genuinely, listen to your podcast um, when Stevie sent it over. It was one of the most like powerful and inspirational stories I came across. And genuinely, mate, you're an absolute hero and a real credit. And uh, I think you're going to inspire loads of people. And I know you have already. So it really is a privilege to have you on, mate. And um, yeah, all the power to you and any support we can give, we definitely will. Well said. Thanks, Paul. Thanks a lot. Cheers for coming on, pal. Oh, thank you. Thanks a lot for having us.